After their adventure in the mansion, the party was exultant. They had managed to survive their encounter with a real live kraken. They defeated Castigari and prevented him from binding the monstrosity to his foul temple. They defeated the Kuo'atoa, and now they had a base of operations, as well as recovered salvage from Castigari's stores. They were in good shape. But when they returned to Outpost 9, they found it mostly destroyed and underwater. All of the ships were at the bottom of the harbor. And in the center of town, the eye of Temple Oculon was ablaze. Voss, the shadow sorcerer, felt a knot in her stomach. She knew that the ancient patron of Temple Oculon was the angel of Semyana, and that this would mean the faithful had a foothold in the city. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. The events of the session went something like this. Began with a description of the devastation at Outpost 9 following the Kraken attack. I facilitated that with the use of that, uh, that city map that I've talked about, but I had added color shading around the areas that were completely destroyed versus areas that were flooded and suffering from a lot of damage. And you can see how the lower portion of the city is pretty much gone. The, the players immediately set out to help the people in the in the city. It was it was kind of cool to see. So the the first thing that we did was was actually fairly interesting and I used the mechanic of uh, of constitution saves as they worked throughout a 24-hour period to help the people of the city. Fail it was a fairly high constitution save and failure meant that you had to expend a hit dice uh, in order to keep going. The, the other interesting thing they did is they, they searched for the man named Bulger, who was the, the lead that uh, Calda had in terms of finding this book. It was sort of the whole reason that Calda was there. And because there were so many refugees, meaning people that were put out of their homes, I think that spurred them to think, hey, we got to try to find this guy and make sure he was not actually killed in the Kraken attack. So I did allow them to find him and I was able to convey the information um, that was necessary for the Balnexicon. Was able to find him, they were able to talk to the man. That was a, a fairly interesting role-playing segment within the session that, um, that involved the entire party. From that, they discovered that a, a beautiful woman had taken up with this guy, which in and of itself was sort of a red flag because he's definitely the sort of dude where... Um, He's, he's more of like a homeless vagrant than anything else. And so the thought of a very refined, beautiful woman being interested in him, of course, is ridiculous. And sure enough, when they talked to him, she took the book and she left him. The woman's name was Agora Maya, which rings a bell with the druid character Mir, who knows that she is a, a hag that's not part of the coven that, uh, that he serves. And so... We were able to, in this moment in the in the game, set up the future storyline that everyone was sort of in agreement that they were looking to get out of Outpost 9 be just simply because of the devastation. And this pursuit of Agora Maya became something that... Uh, that they could rally behind and knowing that she's a hag and that she has this mystic book I, I think the whole thing sort of resonated with the group and it was it was something they wanted to do 
Beyond that, there were there were some interesting role-playing moments, but again, they tended to be singular characters going off and doing things on their own. And it was things along the lines of uh, Voss, the, the sorcerer, managing to, to get the wig and get her appearance sort of uh, adjusted by someone. It was a great section in terms of role-playing, I thought, uh, that Voss did some re- had some really interesting stories to support why she needed to get a makeover during this moment when the city's in, in absolute devastation. There was uh, Calda, who attempted to get into the upper city and find some mystic books. He also attempted to go back to the inn where they took all, they kind of stole his, his money and again tried to play something off so he could get access to those funds, which did not work. Mir, the the druid, actually was able to find some folks that he could hire to come look after the, the mansion out on the outskirts of the city that they, they're using as their base. You know, understanding that they're going to be gone for a while, uh, looking for this hag, Agoramaya. He wanted to have some people that were looking after the their new base. But that's pretty much it, and it does not feel like uh, enough to say, hey, we spent three and a half hours playing. Those were es- That was essentially the events of, of the session. It was fairly slow moving. I think there was a, there was a team session back at the mansion where they were discussing what they wanted to do. And overall, it felt like we didn't move the story along enough for me to categorize this as a very successful session. The other thing of note, and it's a fairly large story point, is that the the faithful of Semyana this cult that is, as I have said before, the boogeyman of the campaign, has uh, done something, which I didn't know it was called this, but uh, Bruce, the, the druid character, was calling it this, and I guess it's a thing. It's called disaster politics, which is when you have you know a small society like this that is under extreme duress as a result of a natural disaster, in this case the natural disaster being a kraken attack, this group will come in and they will provide relief and aid in order to gain advantage, political advantage. And so the faithful of Semyana have taken up in Temple Oculon, which sits right in the middle of the city, this massive tower with an eye atop it. They've lit the signal flare, so the eye is now flaming. And when people come to check out what's going on, the faithful are providing food and water and actual clerical healing, which is something that is not really prevalent in my campaign. So this group that had no foothold in the city now has a foothold in the city. That's part of the political backdrop, but it's also part of Voss's, the, the sorcerer's storyline, because she used to be with the faithful of Semyana. She's since left the cult, and she's dealing with how to navigate that this ratchets up the the pressure in terms of the dangers present in Outpost 9 because before the the faithful had no foothold and now they clearly do and that will only get worse because now that they've been able to illustrate that they have real power and the power to help provide uh, relief and aid to people who are beleaguered has put them in a in a more potent political situation. But again, that's really just backdrop. That's sort of my campaign storyline as opposed to what's actually going on with the individual characters. So in terms of what we were able to accomplish in the session, it's it's basically for me saying number 1, I've I was able to establish that Outpost 9 has suffered a major major disaster. 
things are now going to be scarce. I've already established that prices on supplies and things of that nature have gone way up. It's ratcheted up the political tension because the lower city was the one that suffered the most. The upper city where the rich live, not so much. And the faithful of Semyana now have a foothold. Secondarily, and most importantly, we have a path and a track forward for the, the characters in terms of what they want to do, what they want to drive for, and what they want to accomplish. They're going after the Balnexicon. What worked, what didn't work. Most importantly, lessons learned. I'm not going to really talk very much about what worked. I think I've touched on that already. What didn't work is a large topic which nestles in with lessons learned and i've had to do a lot of thinking uh coming out of the last session because as i i think i've said i wasn't particularly pleased but let me put this in in real clear context i've had disaster sessions in my long and storied career as a dungeon master and this is certainly not a disaster session i'm taking a very conscious and reflective approach to this campaign this audio journal sort of forces that, and holding myself to a very, very high standard and trying to really pull apart what I think is working and what I think isn't working. So I don't want to paint this as, hey, we, at the end of the session, people were sort of like, maybe we shouldn't continue with the campaign. We're nowhere near that point. I think the storyline remains very compelling. What I'm really talking about here is saying, I don't think it was as entertaining as it should have been. And coming out of that, I want to understand why, and I want to understand how I need to adjust things moving forward. In order to really talk about that, I think I have to take a big old step back and talk about how my style as a dungeon master has evolved over time. I don't know if I can say like most people, but that's the way I certainly feel that in the beginning, dungeon mastering many, many, many years ago as a much younger person, I had a, a deep tendency to have uh, railroads. And over time, I've really tried to get away from that. And I'd say in recent years, I've made a, a huge shift out of that direction to say, no, the, the point is not for me to tell my story. I'm one of the storytellers at the table. I have a very specific and different role than anybody else at the table in telling that story. But in order for this to be fun, in order for this to work best, it needs to be driven by the characters in your story. And the reason I like that, the reason that I've trended in that direction is because I, like I think a lot of uh, Dungeon Masters, have a predilection towards being a storyteller, towards maybe even being a writer. You, when you analyze that, you know that the best stories are quote-unquote character-driven. The main characters in the story are the ones that are center stage. They're the ones that are driving the action in a lot of instances. And if all you're ever doing is, as a character, reacting to things that are happening, the story tends not to be as profound or as effective. The dungeon master and what the dungeon master can do is put things out there in a lot of cases that force the characters to react. And you'd have a campaign where it was always about the next threat coming at the characters, the next villainous plot, the next thing that's happening in the outer world, and the players become secondary actors just really responding to the stimulus that's all around them versus setting them up to make real choices pick paths, go in different directions. To continue down this path of drawing parallels between what happens in a role-playing game and what happens, say, in a novel, 
there are there's this concept of uh, plotters versus pantsers. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, a plotter is someone who writes by drafting up an extremely detailed outline for their story that goes from beginning through middle through end, probably maps out every single scene. Again, I'm talking about writing, say, a novel here. And a, a pantser, by contrast, is someone who really doesn't do that. They have this vague sense of what the story is about, and they write by the quote-unquote seat of their pants. And both of these uh, extremes have uh, pros and cons. The, the pro for the plotting is you know where your story is going, and there's no, or there's minimal chance that you're going to go down, right down dead alleyways. And theoretically, it's a much faster path to a completed story, just because the rewriting process will hopefully not be as extreme. By contrast, the pantser tends to have a lot more robust and interesting things happening because it's sort of discovery writing and a lot of really cool and fun and exciting things can happen in that, but the rewriting process tends to be extremely arduous. Uh, sidebar, I believe that George R.R. R. Martin is more of a pantser than a plotter, and I think that's why we don't get those novels as fast as we all would, would want them. And I, I think the parallel for an RPG is on one extreme you have a railroader, and on the other extreme you have a pure sandbox. In my earlier gaming career, I tended to trend towards the pure plotter side of things. I had a storyline, and the, the, the rails were kind of set, and people had to kind of uh, follow along, and I did what was necessary to have that storyline come to fruition. I would talk about things in terms of my story. Over time, I think I've... I've come more into the middle, and in, in recent years, I've been far more interested in the in more of a pure sandbox approach, if for no other reason, because I've never really done that. In this case, I while I don't think I went purely to the extreme of sandboxing, I think the way I've set things up is more in the sandbox realm, and the and I have walked fully into what I think is the downside of that, which is there can be a little bit of analysis paralysis or I think in this case, there are, there were, and I've talked about this, there are so many threads in the plot and the campaign that different characters have, they want to pursue those. And the scenes that come out as a result of the pursuit of these are some of my favorite in the campaign so far. But I think the balance between the group acting in scenes as a group versus the group acting in scenes as individuals is off. We have, I think, a bit too much of, of characters needing to go off on their own and pursue something and no one else either wanting to be a part of that or that thread feels so specific and personal to the character that they don't want to drag along other characters with them. And so as I look at this and say, how do we correct part of me, and this is for the, the, my long-winded story here about plotters versus pantsers, is saying that paradigm needs to come closer to center. I say closer to center. I still want it to be a little bit um, hinged towards the pantser side of things, meaning sandboxy side of things. The characters and the players are making decisions on how we move forward. I think I need to curtail and control some of the options that are present at the individual character level. In retrospect, I know that I, at the time, I said that we had a very successful Session Zero. I would say now, looking back, that Session Zero was not as successful 
as uh, I thought it was, that in fact some of the challenges we are facing now are things that in future session zeros I'll be very cognizant of. How are the characters connected? How in line are their objectives? And that's really what I think is coming out here. Not so much that all the characters are buddy-buddy friends, but before we start, but to say that there are going to be goals and objectives that any individual character and player wants to achieve and making sure that there are maybe two different ones, three at the absolute most, and that always multiple characters are involved. I think the players and the characters sensing that they really wanted to get on a good track are all getting behind the Balnexicon storyline. But if I'm being very bluntly honest, there's only one character that would give a flying crap about that storyline. The others are just like, hey, that sounds interesting. I mean, Balnexicon is clearly fun to say because I can't stop saying it. So they want to pursue that and they're willing to pursue that even though their characters don't have the greatest motivation. They're going along and I thank them for it because I think it's going to help set any pain points that I'm feeling and maybe they're feeling about the campaign on a better path. So onward and upward, I think the the place we're at with the campaign for the moment is one where I feel pretty good about it. I'm really uh, looking forward to talking uh, to everybody about the planning and the plotting I'm doing for the next session because I think that'll be more in line with what I was hoping to accomplish with this audio journal. It'll be more valuable. It's more about uh, prepping for an actual adventure coming forward and the different ways and how to kind of serve it up so that it's, it's interesting. And I am, I'm really excited for what's coming next. And I think the, uh, the players are going to enjoy it. And that's where the good stuff is. This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing, throwing us a review, or sharing with your other gamer friends. You can follow me on Twitter at AnatomyCamp. Thanks for listening.